This is the final sermon in the sermon series that we've been going through called The Church. Our, uh, our mission here is to transform minds and to change lives. And we believe that the church is the vehicle for that. That God is using each and every one of us to see minds transformed and lives changed. Testimonies of lives changed. Testimonies of minds that have been transformed. In my 20 years of ministry experience, I've come to realize that a lot of people have a lot of expectations when they go to church. I mean, there's, there's a lot of folks who they want to go to a church that's got good child care, a clean building, age-specific ministries, good teaching, lively music, nice people. I mean, those are great things. And I put it out on Facebook uh, to ask what people thought. And most of the responses were genuine and honest. But also there were a lot of responses that talked about expectations that the church provides an experience. Whether that's the church providing an experience for you to feel God's movement or to act a certain way. And it was Francis Chan who wrote, by catering our worship to the worshipers and not to the object of our worship. Francis Chan says, I fear we've created human-centered churches. And I fear he's right. He goes on to list what the church, what God expects from the church. When you come to church, you should expect that the church is loving one another as Christ loved. When you come to church, you should expect that the church is caring for orphans and widows together, that we're making disciples, that we're bearing one another's burdens, that we are teaching truth. And I want to be a part of a community that values God's expectations for us. And I pray that we can be focused in our gatherings on just that. I mean, God has expectations. If you go to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 12, you'll see that Jesus gives his disciples a picture of what the kingdom of heaven will look like. And then he says, I want to encourage you to be ready when I come back. And he gives this parable. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them food allowances at the proper time? That is the expectation in the parable. And it's going to be good, Jesus says, when I come back, when the master comes back and finds their servants doing what he asked them to do. And that's the expectation that God has for the church. That when Jesus comes back, we are doing the work he has prepared for us to do. That's the message he had for his disciples. And that goes well beyond music. It goes well beyond words. It goes well beyond meeting once a week. And that's why I chose Acts chapter 2 
42 through 47 is our text this morning. I want to put ourselves in the shoes of the early church. How did they act? What did they do? And to what were they devoted? Let's read together. They, the early disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, and all the believers were together. And they had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods, and they gave to anyone who had a need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Let's pause and pray. Father, we come this this morning asking that the model of the early church might greatly influence the way that we look today. We know that is possible through the power of your Holy Spirit as you transform each and every one of our minds and as you change our lives. And I pray this morning that the work of your spirit will be present among us as we study together your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now if you're unfamiliar with the Restoration Church, which we're a part of, uh, you may not know, but the Christian church, the Restoration Church, has traditionally used this text as a compass on how we're going to organize our gatherings. The apostle teaching becomes a sermon. Fellowships become that potluck. We're going to do it today, right? Breaking bread is communion. Prayer is prayer. We praise God, right? Verse 47 through song. We share in our tithes and offerings. We share with one another. And I love how we incorporate this all on our Sunday morning gatherings, but I think we need to take a deeper look and to the few words of this text that point to something that's a, that's a lot greater. If you want to follow along your notes, I'm just going to have three words for you to write down. The first one is this, devotion. Verse 42 says that they were devoted. They were devoted. The NIV doesn't do this justice. I don't normally go to the King James, but the King James does a whole lot better. It says they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly because that verb is not a one-time devotion. It means that they persevered in their devotion. And let's be honest. We know the difference between devoted and persevered in devotion, right? I mean, like many here, I kind of gained the the COVID-15, amen? Instead of carrots, I enjoyed carrot cake. Instead of learning a new exercise regimen, I, uh, I learned how to make brownies from scratch. I watched more TV. I played more games on my phone. 
I took more naps, amen? But when I got vaccinated, I decided that day, that day I devoted myself to making change. That was a great week of devotion, I'll tell you that much. I didn't persevere in my devotion. I may have made a decision. I may have said, I'm going to devote myself, but there wasn't any perseverance. I fell back into my own ways. Continually, steadfastly devoted. It's not part of our human nature, is it? We are tempted to become lazy. And that's, I believe, why the author of Hebrews writes two passages that really hit home today. Verse, chapter 3, verse 13, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you can harden your hearts by sin's deceitfulness. Doesn't that sound like falling back? Listen to chapter 10 and verse 25. But encourage one another daily. Oh, I just read that verse. Not giving up, meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as we see Jesus coming back. And that points back to the parable that Jesus said. He said the, the steward who's been in charge of feeding those servants, they need to be steadfastly, continually, devoted and we do that through gathering together we're going to need help from our fellow believers to encourage us to stay devoted now notice the second word here in this passage it really stands out is that word awe when they gathered together they were all in awe of the work that God was doing right within their midst. They weren't in awe of the show that was presented to them. They weren't in awe of the glorious preaching of Peter. They were in awe of the miraculous and powerful work that was happening in their midst. God showed up in a big way, and we read that they were in awe. God was at work within their community, and everybody saw it. The disciples did not produce an awe-inspiring production. The church was not putting on a show. In Matthew 18, there's this tiny little verse that's sandwiched between two discussions that Jesus gives to his disciples. The first, ver the first instruction is how to handle conflict within the church. If your brother sins against you, go show him his fault. Bring someone who, who, if he's not going to listen, take it to the church if he's not going to listen. But right there, at the bottom, the heart of Jesus' message is conflict and resolution and unity. But then Peter asked Jesus, right? Right after that, Peter asked Jesus, but wait a minute, what if my brother sins against me like seven or eight times? I mean, what, what do I do then, Jesus? And Jesus gives him this, this heart of reconciliation, right? But it's sandwiched between Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three come together in my name, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Therefore, 
if we're going to have this awe-inspiring acts of God within the church, has a lot to do with not only this, our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another. God shows up when there is peace and unity and when we are focused on God. Once again, let me go back to my Facebook poll. One of the most sought-after expectations was a spiritual experience. I want to feel God's presence. I want to experience peace. I want a refreshing of the Spirit. I want fellowship. But listen, I'm, I can't provide that for you. I can't give that to you. When you and I gather with fellow believers in unity, when we bear each other's burdens, we're going to experience the awe of God's power at work within our midst because of the unity that is happening. And that's not going to happen by showing up to a building one hour a week so that you can experience the awe of God's power at work. Amen? That's why I bring you to the final word in our passage. Daily. Verse 46 says that they met together daily in the temple courts. There were Jews, there were Christians alike. They were going to the temple to pray just according to Jewish tradition. And the Christians kept up with that. They wanted to meet together and pray. They wanted to meet together in their homes and break bread, which not only means they ate together, but it also means that they ate together with a common purpose, and that is Jesus Christ. The text gives us a picture that they weren't meeting once a week for one hour. They were meeting daily. Sports, music lessons, clubs, work functions. They keep us occupied, folks, right? Personally, I remember my senior year of high school, I was in show choir, I was in jazz choir, I was in theater, I was in speech club, and I worked at Steak and Shake. I was busy. And during my senior year of high school, my parents got really sick, and I ended up having to live with my youth minister for a short period of time. And during that time, my youth minister taught me something about devotion. It was Friday night. I just happened to have the night off of work. I was 18, and I was ready to go out with my friends. But my youth minister, Ted, said, no, you're actually going to join us tonight for family night. I was like, family what? <laughs> Hold up. His kids were my kids' age. At 18, I don't want to hang out with a nine-year-old. That's not, that's not in my plans. Then I had to play board games with him, his wife, and two kids. I'm not going to lie, it was awful. But he taught me something. He really did. He taught me the importance of slowing down for my community. And he had made a decision when he got married, when they had kids, they made the decision together, that when they had kids, they were going to slow down. And they're going to make time 
for one another. I've never actually said it. Whenever I met with anyone to join the church, I've never actually said this. But I, I might start doing it. Slow down and make time for your church. Slow down and make time for one another. The early disciples were devoted to God's expectations for them. They were devoted to one another and to worshiping God. They were devoted to prayer and unity. And God showed up in a big way, giving light to the truth of the gospel. They were a community and therefore slowed down to spend time with one another. Can we do that? Can we do that as a church? Can we strip away the lights and the music and the show? Can we think of our community more than just an experience once a week? When we're at our kids' soccer games, can we think of ourselves as being the church there at the soccer game? I'm going to step on some toes here, but if you miss a, Southern, uh, a Sunday gathering, don't wait for me to call you. You call me. Don't wait for somebody in the church to notice you were gone. You call someone in the church and say, I wasn't there Sunday, I missed you. Can you imagine that? In our culture today, for somehow we got this in our ideas that the church is this vendor of these religious experiences and that as long as you keep paying money to the church, they're going to give you that experience. But if you really want to encounter God, Come to the church with the expectation that we as a community, we're going to do something together. We are going to work together. And it's not just going to be on Sunday morning. There's going to be times that we gather together to serve in the communities that we live in the community where this church is as well. Shar, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but she picked out this song, Heart of Worship, to prepare our hearts for communion. And it couldn't be any better. It's a reminder that we are to gather together to worship God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about an experience. It's about God. It's about Jesus. And every Sunday morning we get to this point in the sermon and this point in the service where we sing a song or we listen to a song and it's a time where we can reflect on a sacrifice that was made for you. And as we sing that song, Heart of Worship, I'm going to encourage you guys to go to the corners here. we got uh, cups that are filled with bread and filled with juice, and it's a reminder that a, a body was broken, just like that bread was broken. It's a reminder that blood was shed, that juice reminds us of that. And all of that was done. Because of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross to transform this church. He did it for the church. I love when, when Carl uh, does communion meditations. Many times he'll point us back to the fact that we're not the only community gathered right now. That across Knoxville and the world, there are communities that are gathered because Jesus Christ didn't die for you. Jesus Christ died for all of us. And we're going to do it in unity. I'm going to invite you to hold that cup as we sing. We'll invite someone to come up. 
I can't off the top of my head remember who's going to share with us, but we're going to share together. It's going to be Luke. It's going to be me. Oh, it's going to be Eli. We're going to hold that cup together until they're done, and we're going to take it together. Let's, let's close in a word of prayer, and then we'll move to our, our time of, of preparation. Father God, I know you're here. I know it. We don't just have to feel it. We know it. Because in unity we have come together, and that unity is part of the, the, the sacrifice that you made. It's a unity knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And because of that, Father, we believe that you are here within our midst, transforming our lives. I pray, Father, for that unity within this community, throughout Knoxville as well. Thousands and thousands of people don't know you. It's only going to change as we become closer to one another, as we are unified in you. And so, Father, we pray all these things, asking that you will guide and lead our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.